Hello and welcome to The Stushy, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip and on this episode I'm joined by Justin Bowie and Derek Healy to digest a few of the things that caught our attention in the past week. The UK COVID inquiries packed up its bags and moved on from Edinburgh, leaving behind a trail of headlines almost as long as a politician's deleted WhatsApps. We pick up where it left off to see if any of the drama from Nicola Sturgeon's appearance made a blind bit of difference among voters. Justin Bowie went to Dundee, famously the highest pro-independence area in the 2014 referendum and partial to returning SNP politicians to Holyrood, Westminster and the City Council. More on that shortly. We'll also hear from Perthshire MP Pete Wishart to see what he made of it and to assess the wider reaction. Beyond that, there's an equal pay row still bubbling along and some more disquiet in rural Scotland and the islands where one group of ferry campaigners decided to disband because they're basically fed up being ignored. But let's start with a tour of Yes City. Justin, you love a vox pop, as regular listeners will know. How was your totally scientific assessment of uh, the changing attitudes in Dundee? Well, it was interesting. There was a variety of perspectives, as we'll hear in a moment. It wasn't a sort of polarised thing where people who dislike Nicola Sturgeon still dislike her and people who like her, you know, feel the COVID inquiry was just a witch hunt. Some people did think that, but there were some people who support the SNP who don't necessarily think that Sturgeon handled the pandemic well, you know, now in retrospect, um, following an appearance at the inquiry. But there were also people who said, look, I don't support Nicola Sturgeon, I don't support independence, but I actually felt she came out of the inquiry and out of the pandemic looking quite good. So certainly mixed perspectives. I mean, some problems for the SNP, there are clearly people there who are not as infused as they once were, but that's that's been a wider problem for the party. But at the same time, I think if Nicola Sturgeon was listening to this podcast, she might like the fact that clearly some people have come away from the inquiry thinking better of her you know than they did before so yeah a, a, an interesting look at how people are feeling okay well polls are tight as you say for the SNP nationally where Labour are mounting a comeback and independence isn't particularly any further forward than it has been for a long time campaigners themselves are a bit of a dead end when it comes to achieving their ultimate goal of independence in, in a referendum so we can stop kind of pontificating on that ourselves and just ask a bunch of Dundonians what they think instead and here is what Justin found. Dennis Flood, 73. First of all, I don't like the SNP, so I don't like her for a start, but I thought she did a much better job than Boris Johnson during the, the COVID. Uh, he was pretty incompetent. She was quite good. She was better than him. And I think all this stuff about the WhatsApp being deleted is, a, I think, a smoke screens by Labour and by Tories. My name's Gabby. I am 30. I'm a big supporter of Nicola Sturgeon. I think that she had some really decent policies within um, creating more self, uh, social um, care programs within Scotland. Um, and I think, honestly, this COVID inquiry is a huge witch hunt by the sort of powers that be um and it, it sort of shows like you know all these things that are getting leaked saying you know like insulting the 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 sort of uh tory government that was in power at the time and all of these things and then they're they're acting like this is sort of a a, a character flaw um but no I, I i i still have huge support for nicholas sturgeon i think that if she was to um come back into politics i'd absolutely support her again um and i think that she was sort of um 
unduly run out of politics um, due to, you know, not agreeing with the right people. Uh, Derek Bryson, May 67. I think she's been kind of caught out a bit, um, like a lot of politicians have been. Uh, it's not just Nicola Sturgeon, yeah. but kind of disappointed. And I think there was a lot of back sort of lying going on in the background and things were getting made public. Yeah. And I think they did, like all the other parties, make a lot of mistakes. A lot of mistakes were made in circumstances that were difficult. Yeah. Um, so you can't really maybe single her out for that, but yeah. I'm definitely not a fan as much as I used to be. Would you still vote SNP or would you not anymore? Well, I've always voted SNP, but now I'm reconsidering. I'm not 100% sure who I would actually vote for, to be honest with you. Do you still support independence? I'm guessing if you support the SNP yeah, or...? I, I still support independence, yeah. Still go for that. Neve Rankin, 18. Yeah, I really like Nicola Sturgeon. I don't think that she's done much wrong, to be honest. I think it's been blown out of proportion. And yeah, I don't think she deserves to be uh, objectified that way, you know? And the COVID inquiry hasn't changed her mind at all? No, not at all. I still think that she was a good... Uh, thing for Scotland, you know, yeah. Vicky White, 58. Well, I can only talk about her, my impression of her during the COVID inquiry. And uh, I had uh, my three, my two in-laws and my brother-in-law all died during the COVID inquiry. But despite the difficulties around trying to sort out their estates because of lockdown and visit them in um, nursing homes and hospitals and not have people at the funeral, Despite that, I felt she was a good leader during the pandemic. And I, I was thinking about writing her today to say that because I felt she made more sensible decisions than Westminster did. I think she wanted to lock down earlier. I think she took control in a really good way. And I am really annoyed at that. Is it Jack, the civil servant, the Scottish guy, criticising her for crying? I mean, what else do you want to do? It was heartbreaking. Have you always been a fan of her in general? You know, obviously you feel like she maybe handled it quite well, but have you, have you always kind of had a bit of respect for her? Uh, I have respect for her as a woman leader in a man's world. I'm not personally in favour of uh, independence. I think Scotland's too small to survive economically. So I'm not a fan of her politics, but I, 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 I thought she did a great job. And I think it's in a crisis of that type when no one knows what the path out of it is, to criticise someone that did their best and make them feel worse than they already felt. I think it's shocking. Interesting views there. Also interesting background music, I thought, as well. And there was a keen listeners will have probably heard Caledonia playing in the background. A bit of Muthi, a bit of Seagulls. It could really only be in Dundee, I suppose. The, the views there may confound a few listeners or reinforce a few positions. Derek Healy, did that give you any insight into a resilient party or something the SNP leader and current First Minister, Hamza Yousaf, uh, Yousaf, needs to worry about as he looks towards the general election? Joe, you know, it's interesting because I think the views that we held here probably reflect what I've heard quite a lot from people. Um, you know, I think generally when it comes to Nicola Sturgeon and her performance during the pandemic, I think people do still feel there was, there was competence there that they weren't seeing at Westminster. They did feel more reassured during her daily briefings, so it's not really surprising to hear some of that stuff. Um, you know, some concerns about the way things were handled and some concerns about the retention of information and that kind of thing. Um, do you know, I, I'm not certain how big an impact it's going to have long-term the individual aspects of deletion of WhatsApp messages or, you know, calling Boris Johnson certain words. 
I don't think that's going to have a huge impact. I think the thing that's going to have longer lasting impacts are things like the ongoing and fraud inquiry that's that's happening at the moment. Um, some of the kind of internal struggles that have gone on within the SNP. I think those are the things that are going to have a longer lasting impact on the fortunes of the party going forward. Do you think that um, the, the the focus on the WhatsApps as well uh, has, has turned a few people off the inquiry? Or do you think that people kind of look beyond that they, they they liked the the row about it they knew it was an important row because it goes down to the way the decisions are made behind closed doors but do you think people kind of saw behind that as well and did pay attention or get enough information about how things were being decided by people like nicholas sturgeon so, so i think the problem is that when information has been deleted and it's no longer there to pour over you do have to focus on that because we don't actually know what the rest of the information is we can't actually see okay are there decisions being made in these messages that we are now not getting to see? And that's a problem. You do have to focus on it. It becomes a focus of the inquiry. I personally would have liked to have heard more about how decisions were being made. Um, things like schools closing and businesses being closed. Were those the right decisions? Could they have been opened sooner? Um, all, all of that, I think those are really important things that probably long term, including like lockdowns and vaccine rollout and how quickly we're able to open things up again those are the things long term that are going to have really profound impacts but we, we maybe couldn't get to that as much as we wanted to because there was this big issue hanging over things of okay well have things been deleted how much are we really seeing is there this whole section that's hidden away from us i think we probably completely jumped the shark when we got to the the level of focus on the you know the descriptions of politicians having a go at each other that's what happens in politics it's what happens in any work group chat probably um so i think that was surely not surely not not a dc thompson but everywhere else it definitely happens um so yeah i think there was probably too much focus on that stuff but with the whatsapp thing i think it speaks to a wider culture that was clearly going on within the government i wrote a story for the sunday post about how this was going on way before the pandemic, you know, ex-ministers and Nicholas Sturgeon's government talking about how they were using private emails to avoid FOI scrutiny, that kind of thing. So we know this was going on, and I think that it was almost like a scandal getting caught up in the inquiry that then had to get looked into because everyone was talking about it. Um, so, yeah, I think there was, there was no avoiding it, basically. Okay, Pete Wishart, SNP MP in Perthshire, joined us to give the politician's view from the inside on this very subject. Justin Bowie caught a quick word with him just before this recording. He started by asking if the events of the COVID inquiry might have any lasting impact. Well, I, I don't know is the short answer to that question. I think that the whole experience of the past few weeks hasn't been a particularly edifying one. I think it presents a number of issues and a number of challenges about how we do this in the future. I mean, there seemed to be a sort of quest for some sort of gotcha moment. There seemed to be an inordinate amount of attention attached to the importance of what's happened. I'm not entirely sure whether we served the bereaved families uh, well in the way that all this was covered, the, the whole way it was reported. And um, I, I think the most important thing that came out of this for me was something I suggested a few weeks ago, that we need to have proper guidelines about how members of parliament, members of government, private electric communications are to be utilised and engaged. I mean, if there's an expectation we have to retain everything that we've got, then I'd like to see that set out clearly. So I know what I'm doing so that colleagues know what they're doing. 
And I think that the, the call from the First Minister that we'll, we'll look at this and explore that, I think is going to be one of the most useful things that's come out of this, because all of this attention that was going on about tittle-tattle and, and WhatsApps and the, uh, the I don't know, the, this, this, um, this anger that emerged because of, you know, like what was clearly government policy, which was asking people to, you know, because of very good security reasons to ensure that um, there, there was a, a a, a ritual, if not habitual, like deletion of WhatsApp messages after all the relevant information was recorded. I just, I just felt we got bogged down and all that, and I just don't think that we we served people well in terms of trying to learn lessons from the experience during COVID. But was it not fair to ask a lot of these questions? Because there were things that, that emerged in terms of, you know, the seeming randomness of the restrictions that went in place, the discussions about whether Spain should be on, you know, a sort of green travel list or not. I mean, you refer to them as gotcha moments, but is that not just the nature of interrogation? Absolutely. And I, I want to know the answer to all that. I think everybody does. We want to know how um, certain decisions were were come to and why people decided that this was important but you know I mean we weren't sort of asking that we were, we were constantly going back to you know why whatsapps weren't be re being retained and this became the major feature of most of the conversations around a lot of the witnesses testimony at this inquiry I mean you know, I'm pretty certain that key decisions about, you know, like why Spain was on a list, why it wasn't, you know, and, and I heard exchanges about that, all that, and why decisions were arrived at. I think it was, it was um, I can't remember which one of the witnesses explained in detail about why Spain was at first taken off, then put back on. And I seemed, we seemed to get all that, but nobody really focused on that all that much. It was about what Nicola Sturgeon said about Boris Johnson or what um, Jason Leach said about certain cabinet secretaries and so, like, where all this was there, we didn't seem to spend all that much time looking at some of the things that were important. We spend an awful lot of time looking at stuff that, you know, I mean, where interesting and where, you know, like, probably novel in the fact that we were able to see it. I'm not entirely sure how much it helped understand some of the decision-making about what happened during uh, the COVID experience. And what have you been hearing on your own patch in Perthshire? Have you found that, you know, voters that you're speaking to are sympathetic to Nicola Sturgeon following her testimony? Are they angry? Or are they somewhere in the middle? You know, I, what's this sort of general sense you're getting from your constituency in relation to the COVID inquiry? Um, I think it's too early yet to find out any, any definite conclusions about all that. I mean, we've been obviously speaking to quite a lot of people on the doorstep and it does come up. And a lot of people are disappointed about what they observed and possibly even disappointed with the First Minister. But I don't think that would be unexpected. There was three weeks of nothing other than, you know, an examination and the the, the allegation and the, the the suggestion that people had been dishonest about the retention of WhatsApp, even though it was quite clearly said that WhatsApps, you know, like should be managed effectively and properly after all the relevant information recorded. So I'm not surprised that people would have that conclusion. But the one thing I've, I've started to sense too, and this is more anecdotal than like having real conversations with people, is I think there was an overplaying of hands. I think that people went too far and there's a genuine response now and a, a, sense, a, a feeling that you know what I mean? Like, um, we didn't really get what was required in terms of the real information and the the, the and the important issues around this inquiry. And there's a, 
a sense that people are starting to rally behind Nicola Sturgeon now. And I think that there's a sense that maybe she was unfairly treated, particularly when you look at the, the evidence of Alistair Jack, who came last week. There was, he, he said that he himself deleted all his WhatsApps to free up space on his phone. Nobody batted an eyelid about that. Nobody really sort of cared less or sense. He wasn't challenged about any of that. And he was allowed to, I think, probably, probably in the way of a diversion, make some gratuitous and quite grotesque remarks about Nicholas Sturgeon not crying in the proper way. And I, I think there's been a, a response to all of that, which I think is rally support around the former First Minister. And we'll probably see more of that in the course of the, the next few weeks. And, you know, like... Um, I, I just think that there was a sense before Nicola came to this inquiry that this was all going to be about finding out just how appallingly she behaved. But people remember her standing up daily, speaking, communicating effectively to the Scottish public, answering all the questions from journalists and anybody that was at the inquiry. And they remember that being a key feature of us getting through COVID. And I think people recognise that. And, you know, all the stuff in this, interest and indulgence and WhatsApp and electronic messages, I think will pale into insignificance when it comes to when people make a proper assessment of the way that Nicholas Sturgeon and key officials helped us get through COVID. That was Pete Wishart talking to Justin earlier. Uh, Justin, he was interesting in there on Alistair Jack, not the first time we've heard him mentioned, because of course, one of the the, the women that you spoke to in Dundee mentioned Alistair Jack too. Of course, for people who weren't sure, that is the the Scottish Secretary in the UK government. Um, what did you make of the criticism of, of, of Alistair Jack? Yeah, well, Alistair Jack, during his own appearance at the COVID inquiry in Scotland last week, obviously took a bit of a pop at Nicola Sturgeon for crying. Uh, and that's clearly gotten a bit of a backlash. I think some people feel like it was maybe a bit of a below-the-belt remark. I mean, obviously people will take away different opinions on Nicola Sturgeon and her giving evidence and whether she's in the right, whether she's in the wrong. But I don't think by looking at her, you'd necessarily think that she was faking tears or that she doesn't, you know, care about what happened. It's clearly something that weighs very heavily on her. And when you consider, you know, Alistair Jack was talking about deleting his WhatsApps as well, it almost become becomes a bit of a... Wholesale. Yeah, you, of you course, yeah. You made a point that he'd, yeah. So, you know, you know, when he was deleting them en masse as well, it's not as if he can necessarily take the moral high ground there. But, but I think it hints at a sort of wider point around, you know, culture of government and how governments have been run. You know, it, it seems to transcend political party, whether it be SNP, Tory, if Labour had been in power here, if the Lib Dems had been in power here. There was such an informal culture of, you know, making decisions via WhatsApp, but then not necessarily recording those decisions. And it's quite a modern thing, isn't it? You know, WhatsApp isn't something that's been around for a long, long time. I guess back in the day, some of this might have been done by informal phone calls and informal chats. The problem seems to be now that you have WhatsApp chats and WhatsApp messages that are sort of official because they've been done in government time and government business. But at the same time, they're still being treated as a sort of informal way of messaging. So, yeah, I, I think that, you know, again, people will take different opinions from Alistair Jack's evidence session as a whole. And that's just one, you know, those are just one or two moments from, you know, what have been what would have been a long time of giving evidence. But I think a lot of people felt that was kind of a bit of a crass, unnecessary remark, perhaps. Okay. Well, now on to other stories from around the country that we've been covering since we last met here. 
Derek, you've been looking back at Dundee a little bit, but a story that's important around the whole of the country and beyond. And um, that's the, the row about equal pay, a very long, long battle. Yeah, it has. And I think one of the bones of contention here is that it has taken so long. Um, we've seen in Glasgow that money has been paid out. Um, but in Dundee, that fight is still, still going on. So we've got council workers, former council workers, who are fighting to get um, paid back, basically bonuses that were given to primarily male colleagues, and this is a lot of kind of women workers, there are some men mixed in there as well, but it's primarily women fighting to get equal pay. Um, we raised the case of one um, former care worker, um, she'd been there for 31 years at Dundee City Council, um, and retired in 2020. So this, her name's Yvonne Ring, and she accused the council of basically intentionally stalling um, these payments getting, getting put out. And the worry here, this is according to the unions and the Ring as well, is that by delaying settling these payments and giving people the money that they feel they were due, that this is eventually going to cost taxpayers even more money. And the bills we're talking about here are absolutely huge. I mean, I think in Glasgow they had to sell sell off Kelvin Grove. I think it's about seven hundred and seventy million. They ended up having to pay. Um, it's going to be billions across the UK. Absolutely huge settlements that are getting paid out. Um, it's going to be a significant cost in Dundee as well. Part of the the argument between the two sides, I think there's a little bit of kind of grandstanding going on here between the council and the union, the union and the council. Um, so the from what I hear from the people I've been speaking to, it seems like that the council will be willing to come to the table and talk when they have an idea of exactly how much they're looking for. Um, but there isn't yet a clear idea of that. So the council, I spoke to John Alexander, he's a council leader in Dundee, and he said to me that the union hasn't come forward and said, okay, we have this number of claims and we're looking for this amount of money. So there's no negotiation that can be had there yet. But also the union says that the council aren't willing, this is council officers, not John Alexander, they're not willing to come to the table and have meetings with them. Council says the union's cancelling meetings, Union says this, council says that, whole bunch of back and forth. So I think we're still really at the kind of early stage of this, and I think it's going to drag on for a little while yet. Okay. I have meanwhile been looking at another story further north in the Highlands and Islands um, in the past few days. Uh, again, the UK government involved here, it was a particular summit. They're never just called meetings, they're always summits. Um, this was hosted by the UK government, which aimed to bring island communities together with CalMac bosses from the ferry operator there. Um, there's no need for me to rehearse the long, long, long list of problems facing people who rely on the ferries um, from highland towns and island communities. But the boats, for example, still being built way over budget and far beyond their due date, cancellations and all the rest of it. The one group I spoke to a couple of days ago was the Aran Ferry Action Group. Um, they were on the guest list to air their thoughts with Robbie Drummond um, from CalMac and the, the UK government's Scotland Minister John Lamont. It was a bad start to hear the group voted to, to uh, disband itself a couple of days before the meeting. And the leader, Chris Atkins, told me that due to continually being ignored by decision-making bodies, we've indeed decided to disband. Four years of politely, politely knocking on bolted doors has exhausted us. Justin, what have you been looking at? One story that caught my eye in the Courier, given what we've just been talking about, um, a Tory councillor in Perth and Kinross has been urging the council to lift a ban on the use of um, WhatsApp, of all things. So currently it's you know not, not allowed to be used by councillors, but um, Angus Forbes, a councillor in the region, 
has been urging them to undo that ban. And I, I think it hints at a lot of the things we were talking about earlier on about how WhatsApp is such a convenient service. There's obviously concerns around the retention of messages, messages and how government business is carried out. But at the same time, the ease of use and the convenience and the fact that it's a thing that so many of us seem to use just, you know, so often, you know, obviously means that yeah, a lot of people just want it to be the sort of go-to messaging service. So I think the fact that, you know, a Tory is asking for, you know, greater use of WhatsApp at a council at the same time that the SNP is coming in for heavy criticism for how it's handled itself on um, WhatsApp is very interesting. And hints at that idea that, you know, when it comes to transparency and privacy and, you know, how government business is carried out, you know, a lot of the parties seem quite similar, to be honest, and how they approach that. It's a nice way to round things off, back a bit where we started. And I hope Pete Wishart was listening to the end there. Catch that bit. Thank you to Pete Wishart for joining us for a quick chat there as well. And to Derek Healy, Justin Bowie, producer Morgan McIntyre, and the good people of Dundee City Centre for talking to us as well. We'll be back next week for more. Until then, pick up a paper or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal, Sunday Post, and all of our news brands so that you can be better. Prepared.